Good morning, VRBC, in person, online. We're so glad you've joined us for week three of our sermon series, Fear Not. Uh, you know, one of my favorite cartoons, a far side cartoon, features two deer. We'll show it to you up here. And I don't know if you could see uh, this one right here, uh, but he has this unusual bullseye on him. And his buddy says, uh, looks at him and says, bummer of a birthmark, Hal. <laughs> I love that. You know, sometimes in life we find ourselves tattooed with liabilities that we didn't particularly ask for. Uh, it was not something that we signed up for. And sometimes we would do anything to get rid of that. And this morning as we continue this sermon series called Fear Not, we're going to examine the bullseye, if you will, that was painted on a first century man named Joseph. We're going to feel his fear of the situation that he finds himself in, of the calling that God has put on his life. But then we're going to see also how God helps Joseph rediscover a courage to face his calling, to fulfill a holy calling. And because I'm guessing that there are a number of here today who need a fresh injection of courage into your callings, I'm going to ask you to listen with interest as we read from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Hear the word of the Lord. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. God bless the reading of his word. Recently, our grow group was chatting about things that scared us when we were kids. And I shared with them that for me, it was always snakes. Virtually every nightmare I ever had as a child had a snake in it. And these were no ordinary snakes. These were flying snakes. Uh, and they would just kind of fly up from the ground and bite me. And it was terrible. And I, I, I just can remember still uh, all these years later, just the, the joy of waking up <laughs> and, oh, man, there's no snake hanging by my hand. That, that is so awesome. It was just a bad dream. But unfortunately for, for Joseph, uh, everything is in reverse. Joseph's nightmare happens in the daytime. Joseph is experiencing a living nightmare, and, and Matthew lays it out for us in summary form in verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. 
You know, recently, some of you may remember, we were walking through the Old Testament book of Hosea, and we were talking about some of the differences between ancient Jewish marriage and contemporary North American relationships. And as you may remember, we said that in our culture, relationships, not always, but often follow the opposite pathway of, of marriage in first century Israel. In other words, in our culture, uh, couples uh, often will live together first, and then maybe there's an engagement, maybe not. And then maybe after the engagement, there's a marriage ceremony, or maybe not. But in ancient Jewish marriage, the commitment was just the opposite. Uh, the, the commitment was all front end loaded, if you will. Let me see if I can explain. A, a man would ask a woman to marry him, and they would be uh, as the scripture says, pledged to, marry, to be married, or, or the word was betrothed. And betrothal would last a year, and betrothal was no mere uh, engagement, if you will. It was a binding contract uh, that could be ended only by the death of one of the, uh, the betrothees, if you will, or by divorce. In fact, if you were betrothed to be married and the other person that you were betrothed to died, you would be considered, before you married, you would be considered a widower or widower. I mean, we're talking serious commitment. In fact, they would even refer to one another as husband and wife before they ever came under the same roof. Um, and it would take a year, as I mentioned, before the husband uh, would, would take the bride to his home and their wedding would be celebrated, public ceremony, and then and only then would the two of them enjoy the privileges of being husband and wife under one roof. Now maybe you're asking yourself, well what if somebody broke the rules? Well I'm glad you asked. In the days of Moses the, the punishment could be severe even up to death by stonings, Deuteronomy 22 says. But by, by the time we get to this New Testament era, uh, the more likely uh, action if one person was unfaithful was divorce. So try to imagine you are Joseph. You've, you felt called to marry this girl, likely a young teenager, as we said last week, named Mary. She seems by all appearances to be a righteous young woman, but then you get the news that she is pregnant. I mean, she says it's by the Holy Spirit, but come on, right? What are your options? What are your options? I mean, before you even get to the marriage ceremony, right? Before you even get a chance to say for better or for worse, for worse comes along and slaps you right across the head. What do you do if you're Joseph? Well, as devastating as this news is, you know, Joseph has to decide what his response will be. And unfortunately for Joseph, there are no good options, are there? He did not want anything bad to happen to Mary. He loved Mary. But still, he's experienced, in his mind, at least great treachery. And then there's another complicating factor for Joseph, and that is jo Joseph's options are severely limited by his righteous character. I mean, if you don't have righteous character, your options are wide open, right? But, but if you're Joseph and if you're a righteous person, as the scripture says, the, the options before you are severely limited. Makes me think of the story of a, a friend of, of VRBC that once shared about a time in his life when he was not a Christian and some Christian buddies of him invited him to a, a men's ministry event uh, called Promise Keepers at the old Texas Stadium. 
And if I remember the story correctly, they all went. They brought their stuff for this conference. Uh, they found good seats. It was kind of open seating. They found good seats. They laid their stuff down in the seats, uh, and they went to get something to eat. And when they, got, when they came back, some other guys had moved their stuff and were sitting in their seats. And my friend says to his friends, hey, look, I know all you guys are Christians, but I'm not. How about I go beat them up? At the time, at least, he was not limited uh, by righteousness. But Joseph was. In fact, look with me at, at verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, or maybe your translation says righteous, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. At the time, that was the most righteous option that he could conceive of. He looked at his options. None of them were good, right? One option would be to quietly marry, uh, marry <laughs> uh, and, and pretend the baby was his, but that would be dishonest to pretend that he was the father of the child. And he was a righteous man. He was not a dishonest man. Another option would be to, to expose Mary, to put her on trial. He could declare that he had been greatly wronged. He could have Mary exposed to the maximum amount of humiliation there in their community. In fact, uh, this word in, in, in the Greek uh, that, that is translated expose had the idea of, 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 uh, of making a public spectacle, of, 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 of kind of elevating Mary for the purpose of scorn. And he couldn't do that. Because he was a righteous man. He's faithful to the law. So he has to figure out how to do what is, what is faithful to the law, how to do what is truthful. But in the heart of the law is mercy, so he has to figure out how to do what is kind and merciful. I think this is a good word for us. Because as Christians, we are, to, we are called to be as Jesus was, full of grace and truth. Not grace or truth, but grace and truth. And so Joseph chooses the best option he can think of at the time, which is a small and quiet divorce. Some commentators I read said it would be so small it would only need two witnesses. Another commentator said it wouldn't need any witnesses, just a small, quiet divorce. That was the only option Joseph could think of when he put on his jammies that night. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the heartache he was feeling as he went to bed? You see, sometimes our callings, if you will, have these many callings buried inside of them, and the many callings are things that we did not choose. Maybe we didn't even think about, didn't even consider was a possibility. Our callings have little callings hidden inside of them, and these little callings are not what we initially signed up for. I wonder if anything like that has ever happened to you or is currently happening to you. Maybe you remember being excited about a new job. You loved the job description. But then a few months in, everything got reorganized, and now you're doing the exact job description that you never wanted to do, and you're asking yourself, who signed me up for this? Maybe when you dreamed of being a parent, you couldn't help but project your fondest hopes on your child. Maybe in your mind, your child would succeed in areas where you failed. But then your child struggles in ways you never did. And you feel so outmatched for the struggles that confront you. And there's a part of you that's saying, God, who signed me up for this? 
Or maybe friendship was a wonderful thing. Lots of time spent in, in shared interests with someone who's just like you. Friendship just added so much to your life, but then your friend's life cratered and you were standing there and you want to help your friend, of course. But there's a part of you that can't help thinking, Lord, I just wanted a friend. I never felt called to be part of a crisis response team. And of course, marriage can have unexpected seasons. Yes, you know, I've, I've stood there with my Bible open while the, the bride and the groom are saying their vows to each other and, and they say, you know, for, in sickness and in health and for better and for worse. But, uh, but when I'm looking in their eyes, they, they seem to be thinking for better or for best. You know, it's, it's just going to get better. It's just going to get better and better and better and better and better. And, and what happens, Right. What happens when for worse comes along with a vengeance? And spouses are thinking, Lord, did I really sign up for this? What do you do, friends, when your calling has a secret clause that you never read until you ran into it? Something unexpected, say. Like, I don't know, maybe a global pandemic. How about that? Derek Thompson in the October issue of The Atlantic wrote about a trend uh, that maybe you've heard of, maybe you have participated in. Uh, Economists are calling it the Great Resignation. In April of 2021, the number of workers who quit their job in a single month broke an all-time U.S. record. Economists started calling it the Great Resignation. But guess what? America's quitting spirit was just getting started. In July of 2021, even more people left their job. In August, quitters set yet another record. The great resignation just keeps getting greater and greater, he says. Now, quits, as the Bureau of Labor Statistics defines it, uh, are are arising in, in almost every industry. And get this, for those in leisure and hospitality especially, the workplace must feel like one giant revolving door. Nearly 7% of employees in the accommodations and food services sector left their job in August, in one month, 7%. That means one in 14 hotel clerks, restaurant servers, and barbacks said sayonara in a single month. The great resignation. I read a a study from a a group called Barna about my own industry. Uh, In November of 2021, uh, pastors were surveyed, and almost 40% of pastors said they had considered uh, quitting full-time ministry in the last year. 40, right? 40%. And if you were under 45, that number was more like half. For a lot of reasons. For a lot of reasons, it almost feels like our whole culture is in a season of quitting right now. And maybe you feel it too. And certainly that had to be what Joseph was feeling. But God changed Joseph's mind. And God can do the same with us. God can call us back to our holy callings. I know sometimes we're called to quit a job. I'm not saying that necessarily. But I am talking about what is your calling? What is your core calling? And how do you hang on to a holy calling. So that's the question. How do we face our fears? The series is called Fear Not. How do we face our fears of our callings? Well, as I read this passage, I think Joseph gives two pieces of wisdom that we cling to as well. 
Now, the circumstances for Joseph, just like for Mary, just like for Zechariah in this series, the circumstances are unique, right? But I wonder if there's not some deep wisdom in Joseph's life that applies to your life and mine. So how do we face the fear of our callings? First thing is we sleep on it. We sleep on it. We rest in God's spirit. I find it fascinating that for Joseph, like for so many important people in the Bible, that some of the most important spiritual work happens while they're sleeping. Have you ever noticed that before? Jesus told a parable about a farmer who planted his, his, his seed, and, and while he slept, the seed was growing. The, the seed of the kingdom was growing. You know, for Joseph, daylight is a living nightmare. Right? But somehow that night, he was able to fall into bed and to fall into God's sufficiency. That for me is the beauty of verse 20. Let's look at verse 20. But after he, Joseph, had considered this, the quiet divorce of Mary, an angel of the Lord, remember we said a couple of weeks ago, the angel of the Lord uh, in the C-suite of angels, an executive angel, appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, just note this phrase right now, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Rest in the work of the Holy Spirit. You ever heard the phrase, let's just sleep on it? You ever used that phrase before? I have, let's just sleep on it. What does that mean? Uh, Well, maybe you've had a challenging conversation. There's a decision to be made. You're not exactly sure which way to go. You, You come to a tentative conclusion, but then you say, let's sleep on it and let's talk tomorrow or next week and see if we still feel the same way. Now, I don't think Joseph knew this was part of the plan when he went to bed that night. Not at all. But isn't it fascinating how God used rest to minister to Joseph? Isn't it fascinating how God sent an angel of the Lord to interrupt his dreams? Isn't it fascinating how God helped Joseph find courage? We've talked about it each week in this series. When the angel says, fear not, do not be afraid, these aren't empty words. These are words that give courage to Joseph. It reminds me of this beautiful line in Psalm 127. Psalm 127 begins, you know, unless the Lord builds the house, those who work on the house are laboring in vain. And then it continues in verse 2, in vain you rise early and stay up late. That is, if you're doing all of this in your own strength, your, your effort will be in vain. Your toil for food to eat. But he grants sleep to those he loves. God allows us to rest when we rest in him. So, courage in rest. Then secondly, God reminds Joseph that what's happening in Mary's life is governed by the Spirit. What is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Trust in the work of the Spirit. And then Joseph is invited to rest in hope. Remember the angel called Joseph, Joseph's son of David. Joseph was a descendant of of the great King David. There was a promise to David that there would be a king over his house. It would be the ultimate king, the Messiah. And so Joseph, by taking Mary into his home, by adopting Jesus as his own son, is fulfilling that lineage of King David. He's fulfilling that ancient promise. Only this king, King Jesus, won't just rescue us from enemies like the Philistines. This this king will rescue us from the power of evil and sin and death. Sometimes, friends, sometimes when we feel like our callings overwhelm us, when the for better clause is completely overwhelmed, kind of like 
Pac-Man, the, the for better clause is overwhelmed by for worse, you know. Sometimes what we need to do is to, to sleep on it. And I know literal sleep is hard in a, in a pandemic. So what I mean is, is we need to rest in the arms of God. As the old song says, we need to lean on the everlasting arms of God when our strength gives way. To ask for the strength of the Spirit and rejoice that our God is a God of hope. You know, when life is bleak, our God makes reckless promises Promises of salvation, promises of peace. It was, it was beautiful to hear you sing about that name, Emmanuel. Isaiah 7, 14 says, says that Emmanuel is God with us. This is the promise. Right? Jesus is God for us. He, he forgives us of our sins. And Jesus is God with us, Emmanuel. He's constantly with us. Sometimes God calls us to difficult, painful, hard callings, but God is with us and God has a purpose for sending us forward. One of my favorite writers, Eugene Peterson, uh, has written a devotional book on the Psalms and uh, he points out this little verse in Psalm 105 uh, and it's about another Joseph. You know, there's an Old Testament Joseph and a New Testament Joseph. And uh, Psalm 105 says this about the Old Testament Joseph. It says, and God sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. Uh, look at this phrase, God sent a man before them. Now, if you remember the story of Joseph, his brothers sold him into slavery, and he ends up in Egypt, and, uh, and then he's, he's a slave, and then he's in prison, it's a long story, but ultimately he starts this rise to power, and he ends up being prime minister of Egypt, and he helps Egypt prepare for a coming famine, and then when Israel goes through a famine, when his brothers are hungry, they come to Egypt because God sent a man before them, Joseph, and Joseph ends up feeding them. Sometimes God sends a man or woman on ahead of everybody else. Sometimes like Joseph in the Old Testament and like Joseph in the New Testament, that calling to go ahead, that calling to go, to go and prepare for others is a very difficult but necessary calling. We always know that whatever we're going to face, however painful and lonely, Jesus was sent ahead by God. Jesus goes ahead of us. In fact, this spring, we're going to talk a little bit about what it means to experience Sabbath, what it means to, to, to spend a day out of every seven just resting in God's sufficiency. Jesus has gone ahead. There's no place we go that he won't meet us, even in the valley of the shadow of death, especially in the valley of the shadow of death. We sleep on that. We rest in that. And then secondly we set an alarm. We rest in his sufficiency, and then we set an alarm to awake to his promises. Now, most of us set an alarm to make sure we show up for our responsibilities. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm an old man, and so I have this natural alarm that wakes me up early, but, uh, but I do set an alarm on Sundays. That's, that's the day I always set an alarm. I always wanna make sure that I don't accidentally sleep late on Sundays. We set an alarm because we have responsibilities. We have things to do. We pray for rest, but we know that work awaits us, and the same is true for Joseph. In fact, there's this beautiful rhythm, isn't there? We rest in God's presence, we rise to obey. We rest in God's spirit, we rise in the power of the spirit to do what the spirit calls us to do. 
And that's exactly what Joseph does. Look, look at verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. One of my favorite commentators, Dale Bruner, says that there are two words that always stick out when you talk about Joseph. One word is quiet, and the other word is obedient. Quiet and obedient. Joseph is quiet, isn't he? Do you know there's no record of Joseph speaking in the Gospels? I'm not saying that he didn't speak, but there's no like recorded dialogue of Joseph. He's the quiet one. He speaks through his actions. He's obedient. He obeys God and takes Mary to be his wife. He obeys God and names the child Jesus. Later in Matthew 2, he will obey God and take the family to Egypt to escape King Herod. And then after King Herod dies, he will obey God and return the family to Nazareth. He follows through quietly and obediently on his calling. We rest in God's strength and we rise to obey. You know, sometimes when I'm standing out in the lobby, I have this kind of funny interaction with people. They don't always come out and say it this bluntly, but I can kind of read their face. And, and their face says, I wish you hadn't done that, you know? I wish you hadn't preached that sermon. I was feeling bad enough when I walked in here before I heard that sermon, right? And, and maybe you feel that way about this. Because maybe your calling right now or callings are hard. And you just want to let go. A calling to love. A calling to serve. A calling to forgive. A calling to persevere. A calling to keep moving forward in faith. If that's you, I'm going to pray for an infusion of courage. I'm going to pray for an infusion of holy rest. I'm going to pray for literal sleep. Uh, but I'm also going to pray for deep restfulness. I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit will hover over you. And that you'll be able to rest in the presence of Emmanuel. I'm going to pray that for you. But I'm also going to pray that you will rise in the strength that God gives. In the strength of that rest. To take up your calling again when the alarm clock goes off tomorrow and Tuesday and Wednesday. Alexander Solzhenitsyn was a great Russian writer. Uh, he spent years in a Siberian uh, prison and at one point he had become so completely discouraged that he decided he was gonna give up and that he was gonna die. Uh, his plan, and he'd seen it happen with others, his plan, uh, his kind of give up plan, if you will, was just when he was out in the field was just to stop working. It was just to kind of lean on his shovel because he knew that if he did that, guards would come and they would beat him to death. And so that's what he did. He stopped working, he leaned on his shovel and one of his friends saw him. And his friend quickly came over to his side. His friend took his shovel. His friend made the sign of the cross in the sand long enough for Alexander to see it, and then quickly erased it before the guards could see it. And Alexander Solzhenitsyn said that when he saw the sign of the cross at his feet, he was so energized by that little reminder 
of the hope and courage that we find in Christ that he found strength to continue. And it was all because a believer cared enough about him to remind him of the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Friends, let's do that for one another. Let's make the sign of the cross for one another. Let's pray for one another. Let's show up for one another by our presence, by our prayers. Let's let one another know that we are praying for the Holy Spirit to give them rest, and we are praying for the Holy Spirit to give them strength. I'm praying that for us as a congregation. We'll pray it together. And I'm also praying that we'll set our alarms and that tomorrow morning we will rise with renewed calling, quiet obedience, that the Holy Spirit will strengthen us for whatever battle we face and that we will know that whatever we walk into, Jesus gets there first and is waiting for us. Let's pray. Lord, this is a hard sermon to preach because I know so many folks are going through such difficult time, Lord. And yet, Lord, we are reminded today by Joseph and more importantly by you and your spirit and your word that if you call us, you equip us. If you call us, Lord, then you make a promise to strengthen us for the journey. And so, Lord, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would move all over this place, that your Holy Spirit would move in every room where somebody is uh, participating in the sermon online, and that your Holy Spirit would give courage, would give strength, would give peace, would give faith, would give hope so that we would not be afraid to do what you've asked us to do. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.